Well, good morning. Uh, if anybody doesn't know me, my name is Harlan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Billings Vineyard. And this morning we are continuing our Advent series by looking at receiving the blessing of the bread of life. And I got to tell you, I absolutely love this topic. It is a dominant theme throughout the entire Bible. And it's on the one hand, incredibly deep and complex. And yet at the same time, it really boils down the gospel uh, to a framework that is very simple and very easy to understand. Uh, that's actually one of the things that makes me really stand in awe of Scripture, is that it is so simple that a child can understand it, and yet when we step uh, into the pool of exploration, we really realize that it's an endless ocean in its depth and wisdom and like perfectly harmonized complexity. It's a lot like a symphony. Uh, well, this morning, I'm going to do my best to give us the simple version, which is also the short version, praise God. Uh, so my goal for this morning is really just to answer three questions that we will circle back to at the end. Those questions are, what is the bread of life? Why do I need it? And how do I get it? What is the bread of life? Why do I need it? And how do I get it? So let's just go ahead and pray and then jump in. Well, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for calling each of us to be here in your presence. Will you speak your truth, your comfort, and new life to us this morning? Will you convict us of where we fall short? And will you lead us to Jesus for abundant forgiveness and restoration? Amen. So as I was preparing for this sermon this week uh, and considering how to communicate this topic, I really felt that God just kept bringing me, bringing me back to the same starting point. I couldn't get away from it. He kept bringing me back to the same starting point of just how much he loves mankind and the immense joy with which he like intently and intricately formed this special creation that we call humans. Our senior pastor, Adam, tells us all the time that we are God's masterpiece, and that is absolutely true. You know, God loves all of his creation, and he has redeemed all parts of creation through the cross of Jesus, and yet in Scripture, we clearly see that God made humans unique from everything else in the physical or spiritual realms. We read that God's love and care for humans is somehow unique from, say, the birds and the flowers and the trees. For example, we read that if God feeds the birds, then he's definitely going to feed us humans. We read that if he clothes the flowers in splendor, even though they're going to be thrown away and burned tomorrow, he will certainly clothe us, right? Uh, we also read that humans are unique in God's heart from, uh, say, like thing, angels and things in the spiritual realm. We, we honestly don't know very much about angels because um, they're sort of tertiary characters in the biblical story. But listen to Hebrews 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. 
Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sin of the people. So, you know, we know that there are sinful angels um, destined for condemnation, frankly, and yet and nowhere in Scripture do we get really a hint that salvation is available to them, certainly not by means of God himself coming to be like them and bear their sin. Welcome to my mind during sermon prep week. It, go, it goes weird places. <laughs> but, you know, this, this stuff, when we think about it, it's really, it's crazy, and it's humbling to think about this stuff. And it should cause us, like the psalmist, to just be in awe of God's love for us and to proclaim, uh, like the psalmist in Psalm 8, when I look at the night sky and see the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. And yet, and yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. So we see this incredible honor and dignity that is inherent to simply being a human. But there's more to it than, than simply being a creation that God thinks is cool. He made mankind special from the rest of creation because he made us for a unique purpose, namely to be his children and to have this incredibly intimate relationship with him where all of our deepest needs, excuse me, all of our deepest needs and desires would be satisfied by his love and his abundant provision. And so God made us all in such a way as to accommodate that kind of relationship. What do I mean by that? Well, consider how God made us to rely on food for our physical survival. And so he gave us stomachs to be filled and satisfied. And there's this sense of joy and contentment after we eat a big satisfying meal, right? We're just coming off of Thanksgiving. We're looking forward to Christmas. You know what I'm talking about. Well, we can use that as a springboard to understand something deeper about how God made us. You see, there is something deep inside of every human that is somewhat akin to a spiritual stomach. I don't really know how else to describe it, but I think you know what I'm talking about. There is something deep in every human that when filled brings joy and peace and love and contentment that surpasses anything that can be known through physical means. As Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So long story short, this thing inside of us is meant to be satisfied solely by relationship with God. Sort of how good nutritious food brings life and, and vigor to a person's physical body, relationship with God brings life and health and vigor that really has no true parallel. Short of actually experiencing it, 
the best that we can do to understand it is to use these physical things that we know, like the stomach and food and satisfaction, and use those things to point us to the deeper thing, which is our need for relationship with God. And so this is why, like, hunger and thirst and bread and water are such dominant themes in the Bible, and why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And in the beginning of the Bible, uh, we see this perfect relationship. God placed the first humans in a garden of abundance, and everything was working as intended. The humans had both physical and spiritual needs, and God lived there with them, uh, providing generously for absolutely everything they needed. But one day, the enemy of God came to the people and tricked them with a lie. He basically told them that they were not created to be satisfied by God. Rather, uh, that was just God's way of keeping them oppressed and under his thumb. The enemy told the people that they could be their own source of life and satisfaction, that they could rise to the level of God and release themselves from his shackles. Then, then they would find true life and true power. And it's really interesting that when the people believed this lie, they reached for a piece of physical creation, a fruit, thinking that by it, that it would uh, result in filling that spiritual stomach. But of course, we know that didn't work. And in fact, the opposite happened, and they experienced hardship and death. No longer did the earth give itself to the people for food uh, so well, but it grew thorns. And just the simple act of attaining and eating food became toilsome and burdensome. And even though, you know, they could still scrape out enough food to sustain their physical bodies for a while, it only lasted so long. And of course, they eventually died returning to the dust from which they were made. And this physical turmoil and the nutritional scarcity that they experienced also had a sort of spiritual parallel. They were now separated from God outside of the garden, and so they essentially starved to death spiritually as a result. And so since then, this has by and large been the tragic story of humanity. We are all still born as the masterpiece of God's creation. We all still have that spiritual stomach and that deep desire to, to have it be satisfied but because of the sin of those first people, we're born with the wool pulled over our eyes. We're born with that lie. We're born believing the lie of God's enemy uh, that those spiritual hunger pains we feel can, in fact, be satisfied apart from God. And so, you know, we all feel that deep hunger, and yet we don't quite know what it is. And so, like the first people, kind of our go-to is to try and satisfy our hunger through creation. As Romans 125 puts it, they traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Uh, but of course, this doesn't work. Uh, we see this e expressed pretty clearly in Ecclesiastes 2, which reads, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. 
So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning uh, by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect uh, water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. You see, this is the result of trying to fill the spiritual stomach with the things of creation. It doesn't work for the most basic of reasons, because we weren't built that way. It's really, it's so simple. It's kind of, it's kind of like my truck. My truck was built to run on gasoline. So I put gas in it and like, ta-da, it works, right? But if I tried to put, say, milk in it, it wouldn't work because it wasn't built to run on milk. Well, in the same way, we were built to run on relationship with God. Anything else is like trying to put milk in the gas tank and then standing around all confused as to why it's not running. It's pretty silly. But this is the lie. This is the lie of God's enemy. So we feel that deep hunger, and then we try and satisfy it with the things of the world, and then we stand around all confused as to why we're still hungry, why we're still fearful, why we're still angry and anxious and just generally dissatisfied with life. But humans are in slavery to this lie. So like Solomon, we just, you know, we tend to try different things and in greater abundance, saying maybe I just need more money, and then I will finally feel happy and secure. Maybe I just need more promiscuous sex, and then I will finally feel loved and accepted. Maybe I just need to give myself to my job. Then I'm finally going to feel like I have a purpose in life. Maybe I just need to change my sexual identity. And then I will truly find out who I am, and I will stop feeling so freaking lost in this world. I'm coming, Brad. (laughs) Does any of that sound familiar to our day and age? Of course it does, but it's not unique to our day and age. This is a tale as old as time, but it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story because God loves us way, way too much 
for it to end that way. Plain and simple. So, throughout history and throughout Scripture, we see God coming in and breaking the power of that lie with his love. Taking the wool away from people's hearts so that they can recognize what that deep hunger really actually is and to truly turn to him to have it satisfied. We see in Psalm 42, which begins with, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. See, the psalmist recognized what the hunger is and what the solution is. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Or Psalm 90, which says, O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants and satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. Kind of like breakfast. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. So as God's plan was carried out throughout history, he used this metaphor of hunger and bread to teach people these truths we've been talking about and teach them to trust him. Uh, We see this when he led Israel into the wilderness and Deuteronomy 8 recounts, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, bread a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. God provided everything for them in a land that could offer them nothing. And he was teaching them to trust him showing that he is truly the source of all their needs and that he is more than willing to provide for them. And so he did this by satisfying their physical hunger with bread. And all of this was pointing forward to the bread of life, which is the real provision from God that truly satisfies our spiritual stomachs and brings us true life. The bread of life is the promised savior that would break the power of the enemy's lie and allow people to see the truth. So God foretold through the prophets that this savior, this bread of life, was going to be born in Bethlehem. And sure enough, that's exactly where Jesus was born. Here's a fun fact about Bethlehem. Uh, It's actually two Hebrew words put together, beit, which means house, and Lechem, you got to do the lechem, which means bread. Nobody get upset at that, please. (laughs) You put those two words together and you get Bethlehem, which literally translates to house of bread. Like, come on. It's, I read stuff like that in the Bible. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Jesus is God incarnate who came to destroy the lie of God's enemy and bring people back to God. You know, in Jesus' ministry, there was more to Jesus walking around healing people 
than simple compassion, although that was certainly a part of it. Jesus was demonstrating in the physical what he was doing for people in the spiritual. That's, this is why the hymn writer, preacher, and uh, former all-around scallywag John Newton was referring to when he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. So Jesus came to pull the wool off of people's hearts, giving them sight to the truth about God's goodness and how he created them to be satisfied in relationship with him. Listen to this encounter uh, with Jesus from John 6 after he miraculously fed 5,000 people by multiplying bread. Awful, an awful lot like uh, when God fed the Israelites manna in the wilderness. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Pretty simple. And they answered, well then show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread to eat. And I got to stop right here because they literally just saw Jesus do a miracle with bread. It's the weirdest thing. (laughs) So Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread. The bread that other bread was pointing to. He offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And he goes on to say later in that same chapter, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. You see, it's in relationship with Jesus that we meet God and we finally have our spiritual stomach satisfied. In Isaiah 55, God said, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? 
Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Now listen to Jesus' words from John 7. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. It's awful similar, right? This true life is available to absolutely anyone and everyone who wants it because God has come close to us in Jesus Christ. God himself has bridged the gap that once separated us from him, and now he calls us back to himself to recognize what that deep hunger inside of us truly is and to turn to him to have it satisfied by Jesus. So let's now answer our three questions. I went quick. I feel like I skipped a page or something. <laughs> let's now answer our three questions. What is the bread of life? The bread of life is the love of God in Jesus that brings fulfillment and satisfaction to our deepest needs and desires. Why do I need it? Because I was created to function in a very specific way with very specific needs that can only be met by God. And because of sin, I'm born starving and blind to my condition. How do I get it? This is the work of God that I just believe in the one he has sent. This means I simply recognize my hunger and I seek true sustenance and satisfaction through relationship with Jesus, the bread of life. This comes through things like prayer, scripture reading, entering into discipleship and Christian community, things like small groups, but it really just boils down to simply walking with and trusting Jesus day in and day out in obedience. So now that we understand all of this, the only thing really left to do is to consider how we react to it. Uh, so as the band comes up, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to actually move among us and heal those areas of our hearts where we're still blind so that we can see those areas where we're trying to fill our, our spiritual stomachs with the things of the world. In ministry time, I will invite anyone who is hungry, anybody who's hungry for true satisfaction, for true fulfillment, to come forward and together, together we will meet Jesus and seek to have our stomachs filled with the love of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, who is here with us, who dwells among us, who searches our hearts and brings us to Jesus, will you search our hearts right now? Lord, will you bring sight to the areas that are still walking in blindness? Will you let us sense your love and compassion? And will you lead us to Jesus for true food? Amen.